0: Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's best contenders for the industry's biggest awards. I'm Shayna Naomi, Crockmall Digital Director at EW, joined again by my co host, EW's Awardist columnist David Canfield. Hey, Shana. Hi. And we also have EW writer Joey Nolfi on the line with us. Hello, Joey.
1: Hello. How are you guys? We're
0: good. good. We're we're, we're done. Covering.
2: <laughs> yeah, this finally is, done. This, this is it. This
0: is the end of the road. You know, we have been through Awardisk, c- providing comprehensive awards coverage in the magazine, online at EW.com, on our social channels, on video, here on audio, and this is this is it. The final. The final,
3: the finale, the
0: finale. <laughs> That's the word I'm looking for. I think it's just been one too Season many awards, um, and we're just gonna we're gonna talk through all things Oscars. So who won, who didn't, what surprised us, how our predictions held up, and uh, since Bong Joon-ho, the director, producer or *Parasite*, writer, is among the list of many folks who won last night, who we did have the opportunity to mm-hmm. speak to. Uh, but it was relatively early in the awardist season, so Definitely. as an encore, we'll bring that interview back. It's not a new interview, but it is a solid one, and he had a lot to say, and David, you and I enjoyed talking with him then, everyone in the office who filed by when he was politely waiting in our main <laughs> lobby to <laughs> come down and talk to us, who lost their minds and kept like slacking us and was like, is that, is that, is that, who who is is <laughs> that just checking, is that who that was? Um, seems like it's worth bringing back, so we'll I we'll hear so. a little bit of that. But let's, let's just go right to the big news of the night. David, mm-hmm. the, Oscars, the Oscars, the winners, The winners. did anything surprise you?
3: Um, well, we had in the end predicted Parasite to win Best Picture. Uh, not that many uh, experts did that. So Joey and I can feel pretty good about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we did not predict Bong Joon-ho to win Best Director. And this is the first time in five years that a film has swept. Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. And the fact that it is Parasite, the first Korean film to ever win any Oscar, is pretty remarkable. So that was the big surprise. The acting contenders went as expected. There were a few below-the-line categories that didn't go as we thought, but those are always a little always
0: more a little Ford v Ferrari, than, more Ford v Ferrari than, than we were expecting.
3: They really like listening to those cars, evidently. And, and, and vroom vroom vroom.
0: vroom. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. The vroom boat. I have I have a question for you and for Joey. When yeah. because I certainly I you know I was a am a huge fan of Parasite. Um, I think my like line that I just kept tweeting over and over again was like skip Joker, see Parasite. <laughs> just do it. Like not that it has to be one or the other, but I was like adamant from the beginning. And when we were talking about this last week, I think all of us got excited by the prospect of this, uh, you know, sort of underdog upset Mm -hmm. of Parasite. But when you guys put together the ballot, how much of that prediction was just truly who you thought was going to win? How much did you allow your hopes and dreams to influence that? Hmm. Or was that why you sort of tempered it with... Sam Mendes as a prediction for Bus best director and Parasite for best pictures. You were like, okay, let's not get crazy. Mm. Like, be honest, like we're through the other side of it. Your process was good, your predictions were solid. But I am really curious now, tell me like, how much did you feel like you really had to put down what you thought Truly was where the industry was going, and how much was a little bit of, oh, I hope this happens.
3: Joey, why don't you start there?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, and I have to apologize to David first because he, I made him at the last minute switch two of our tech predictions. Um, he had them initially right. I made him switch them over to be wrong. So our predictions would have been better if David had his way, but I foolishly I'm, made him switch. I'm, I'm nodding right now. But.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he will take that apology.
1: <laughs> I have to apologize. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I started to feel that Parasite was going to be a winner after the SAG win. I mean, in the reaction to Bong's name at the Oscars lunch, and then doing the secret ballot, That just the passion for this film, it was undeniable. And I think it represents a lot of how the oscar prognostication game is really shifting because statistically my mind is saying you know 1917 was out front i mean it won pga dga the golden globe even though parasite wasn't eligible in the same category the bafta but just that passionate support for parasite was something that you just had to feel in order to predict it it definitely wasn't a prediction that you could do using your mind over your heart so i went with my heart over my mind and i think that this whole situation really forces us to reconsider how we approach predicting the Oscars. I mean, I've been saying that time and time again, but statistics just mean very little anymore. I was was talking with David after the ceremony, and I think that we can agree that we can certainly use statistics and precursor stuff to gauge nominations. I think those um, statistics are still vital to laying that foundation early on. But after the nominations, I mean... it's really anyone's game um, because they're reacting so much to what's happening in the moment and the voting base is just so rapidly diversifying. So I think we can predict what the individual branches are going to do with their nominations, but once it opens up to the whole academy voting, it just completely changes the game. So I think we had to go with our hearts with Parasite. I,
3: I actually had sort of the opposite experience where I realized at a certain point that I wasn't predicting it because I didn't want to go with my heart. And Mm. uh, the numbers just lined up for 1917, but I had this nagging feeling that it didn't have the full force behind it to go all the way, especially on a preferential ballot. And I was in the room at the SAG Awards when those enormous standing ovations happened. Joey had spoken to these voters who really indicated where the momentum was. And there was just a point around then that I realized I really did believe it was going to win. And I think that that was an important distinction, was finding where I personally wanted these things to go, which was towards Parasite, but also Feeling confident enough not to go with the numbers because as Joey said the way that the Oscars have moved You know, it is weird that this group could go with Green Book and Parasite (laughs) in a two-year span It's strange, but this is also the group that voted for Moonlight and Shape of Water is also a really weird movie And the fact that they voted for that is notable. So they're a pretty eclectic group and every indication we had at every stop on this circuit was that the love for Parasite was stronger than for any other movie. And that's why I ended up going with it, and I think that's why Joey ended up going with it. And, um, yeah,
1: here we are. Well, I think it's just, it's weird, though, because, I mean, it it is so difficult to pull yourself away from the statistics, because, I mean, Parasite really was not statistically doing as well as 1917. I mean, DGA, PGA, BAFTA, I mean, that is a pretty huge uh, sect of the industry going for 1917. And I do think 1917 is a better film. And I think that Sam had a bigger directorial task ahead of him. So I'm really shocked that he did not win Best Director. But I think a lot of Academy members are thinking in the sense that Parasite – is a better best picture winner as a representation of the industry. I think the standards are a little bit different in the um, between the two. I think best picture in an ideal world, and this doesn't always happen, but I think it represents something or symbolizes something about the year in cinema. Mm-hmm. And I think Parasite's themes and its status as an international feature amid this really rapidly diversifying academy represents and means something more to people who are working within that industry. And I think history is going to remember it you know, better as a perfect representative or a snapshot of where the industry is moving right now. And I think that when you have a collective group of all of the branches voting for what represents them the best, um, I think Parasite probably it comes down to that. Mm -hmm. David, when
0: you're thinking about the campaign of it all, right? So you spoke with some of the Universal team like, we've been talking to people about, mm-hmm. like, univer- like, 1917 was relatively late into this process, yes. right? They were late to debut, they were late to show the film, they were late to realize, it seems like, that they were such a serious Oscar contender, yeah. and really, like, well, you know, I don't think they were, like, avoiding it or, like, but it, it didn't seem to quite fully register that it was like, this is mm-hmm. it, you have a huge opportunity here. And I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about, How the Irishman went home empty-handed, yeah, right. Like
3: the only Best Picture nominee, the only Best best Picture picture
0: in that sort of like frustrating but reality of the marketing of awards campaigning today mm-hmm. where do you think people are having the hardest conversations maybe about what they could have done to put good movies sort of farther ahead yeah or do we feel like it, this sorted out the way it should and the underdog one we're okay with that i mean i think we're all okay and yeah. excited to see parasite win and this is in any you know i think no, neon, yeah, neon really is having a great run of yeah. being able to pick like really solid Um, strong contenders from a much more kind of indie fair sort of base. But in that campaign world, what do you think today?
3: I would say for a three-year-old indie distributor to beat the biggest campaign Netflix has ever mounted, certainly, and a huge campaign from Universal in 1917 is an amazing story here. Um, I think 1917, to an extent, benefited from its late entrant. It really premiered as soon as it could have. They started shooting in April of 2019, so it was just getting it out in time. I think because the awards season was so much shorter, uh, and it was this last huge movie to start screening for the industry, uh, it really built on that really strong note to end on for voters. Um, I think... There is a story here about what money can get you with guilds versus with Academy voters. One of the reasons I think 1917 did so much better is that these are more of his peers, more of Sam Mendes's peers voting, and um, that lifted him, whereas Bong Joon-ho is more of an unknown entity in both the UK and the United States. Obviously, for a Korean filmmaker, he's quite well-known here. But still, he hasn't worked with these people as much as Sam Mendes has. Mm -hmm. or Quentin Tarantino, for that matter. I think you really see a targeted, passionate campaign capitalizing on the excitement for a movie uh, in a a very specific way, and that really lifted it to, I think, a place not any of us saw it going a few months ago. Certainly, we predicted it in the end, but the fact that it got this far uh, speaks to what a good campaign, not necessarily the most expensive campaign, can do.
1: I, I don't necessarily know that I'm a sold on attributing it all to Neon because I think if you look at how they handled some of the other films in this race, I mean, they, they really didn't... Did any other Neon movie get into any category?
3: Honeyland actually got two nominations. It also got in for... International feature as well as documentary, which I think is speaks. That that was really impressive because that's a North Macedonia movie that critics loved, but was was not a particularly popular movie. So I do think that they they hit well. And unfortunately, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was not submitted
1: by uh, France for and clemency too. Clemency that was, was the big loss. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I, I think a lot of it has to do more with the popularity of Parasite itself, because, I mean, this started back in Cannes. You were seeing this kind of passionate uh, response to this movie. I mean, it won the Palme d'Or. It, I, I think that it, it starts back at Cannes. You can sort of trace where the fire sort of lit for this movie. And I think totally. maybe Neon, uh, I don't want to say jumped on the bandwagon, but it, it kind of feels like Neon wasn't necessarily the sole driving force of this. I think that the quality of the film had a lot to do with it. Neon certainly helped, but yeah,
0: um, I, mean, I think yeah, Bong, not... Bong was a great campaigner for him. Oh himself. yeah, no, I totally- In like the, the, the most, be- like, most yeah, low key way possible, right? Where he was like sort of making fun of the Oscars, yeah. <laughs> sort of making fun <laughs> of Hollywood and awards altogether, yes. and yet still managing to deliver like the most compelling he argument for amazing. someone that you just wanted to have win things. Yeah.
3: He was amazing, and I totally agree, Joey. I I just more think it is a story that a campaign like this could win anyway. People do have the misconception that the biggest campaign mm-hmm. will win, that Netflix can buy its way yeah. to a win. Uh, and that obviously was not evident here. They did not fare well at all. Uh, Laura Dern. Not on the
0: Irishman, although obviously Laura Dern, their first. Uh, I feel like I mean, it's, it's barely a, it's a Netflix win, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that yeah. felt
3: that felt like such a career win to me. And um, American Factory, of course, has the backing of the Obamas, which I think was a slightly larger factor there. but. <laughs> um, Those were their only two wins.
0: Let's talk about the acting category. So all four of these went the way we expected them to go, based on what had happened previously Mm -hmm. and just the consistency of that. But let's talk about them specifically in those moments of seeing them win. Was there anything you found particularly heartwarming or surprising or sweet in their? Their their speeches varied wildly. (laughs) Um, Renee talked a lot. Yeah, she did. (laughs) I I really I thought that her comment about Judy was really heartfelt. Um, One of our writers, Maureen Linker, did a great piece about sort of justice for Judy and sort of like this isn't really justice for Judy, but it's the closest we're gonna get. Um, In Judy Garland's lack of recognition by the Academy, but having you know Renee Renee did all of the actors spoke for quite a while. And we're sort of allowed to speak for quite a while. What other ones, David? Were you struck by?
3: Um, Joaquin Phoenix gave (laughs) quite a speech. (laughs) Um, It was me
0: and it was it was like trying to chart a little path, right? Yes, and where it was going.
3: At times, I was quite surprised that he did make connections in what seemed like a totally discombobulated (laughs) speech. Um, He has just been so interesting to watch this whole season. Really, all of them have in their own way. Um, I really loved Laura Dern's speech. I feel like all of her speeches have been so calculated and targeted to the group. And the way she made her mother cry at the end there and really oh. say, really saved that last tribute, that last thank you to her parents. Mm-hmm. She had obviously had a moment with her father at the SAG Awards, but that was really moving because it, it just felt like a culmination, not only of her career and of her life, but of these few months. and getting to this moment. Uh, so I, I, that was my favorite. Well, personally. and going
0: back to Joaquin, like, the, like throughout all of that long speech to come back at the end to him talking about River Phoenix yes. was, and to like see that he struggled to mm-hmm. even say, say something that he clearly really wanted to say and almost broke down entirely before even just being able to reference his brother mm-hmm. was really powerful and really i think like an un- um a nice way to leave that maybe not nice isn't the right word but it was like it just felt like here you are seeing this man having a, a genuine true moment of gratitude yeah and humility and and sadness in a way that felt like very real mm-hmm. um was striking but also
1: in the same breath as talking about cow's milk yes. so <laughs> I know. like Lots <laughs> the first of time that has ever happened on the oscars yes stage.
0: <laughs> yes joey what in the speeches from the actors were you struck by
1: uh definitely i mean not only because i was you know, transcribing Joaquin's speech as it was coming out of his mouth, which was a feat in itself. <laughs> that Thank, you. <laughs> Thank
0: you for your bit. service. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. Um, that was definitely the one that that struck me. Uh, it was, it, I, I, I was having issues following it at first, but I do think in the end he he made some interesting points. I really liked the part where he said that he essentially apologized for you know being a jerk yeah. uh, sometimes on the set of his films, and he said, "I'm really." thankful that all the people in this room are able to look past me being a jerk in my past life and uh allowed me to get up here and accept this award so i really 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 liked that moment because i didn't think that that was at the start of that speech i didn't think he was going to get to so many nice little moments and uh like that and the moment about his brother i thought that was really sweet um uh let's see what else um oh yeah of course Laura we already talked a little bit about Diane but I mean you could just see in Diane's eyes I mean she has been a notorious campaigner throughout her entire career and I think she has just wanted to win so badly throughout her whole career but watching her daughter win it felt like such a genuine moment um those tears in her eyes were just it was so beautiful watching her watch Laura give that speech so I got a little emotional at that but um me too I was also surprised that, I don't know if you guys remember, a few years ago when Diane Ladd was on the red carpet at the AARP Awards and was like, I, do, I don't cat- remember that joke.
0: <laughs> Tell you us know, all about it.
1: Category fraud. She was like, I'm upset at the greed and corruption. And she called Rooney Mara Rooney Moore. And I uh, weirdly I remember was, that. And I just was surprised <laughs> that the two of them were able to be in the same room together at the same time. So,
0: <laughs> I was a Diane little <laughs> I was a little bummed that Brad Pitt's speech was so early in the night, just because it was, again. (laughs) like I've just been team Brad Pitt's speeches this this season. He's been great. Just enjoyable across the board. And I was like, oh, but that's done now. Yeah. Now we have to (laughs) come back to it. Joey, Um,
3: I'd like to know if you agree that Jane Fonda gave one of the best performances as a presenter (laughs) of Best Picture that I have ever seen the way she opened the envelope, looked at it, and she did this sly smile where I was like, oh my God, Parasite One. But it wasn't too overdone. It was just like so mm-hmm. perfect. And then the way she said it, I was like, can Jane Fonda please return every year? Yes. To do this? Yes, so let's just decree it right now. It was an iconic reveal yes. i don't know if you guys and know this but you? yeah jane
0: fauna can act <laughs> <laughs> she's great she's amazing and yes a two-time
3: academy award winner as they said <laughs> as she walked to the stage
0: what about we didn't talk through the writing categories at all anything mm-hmm. you want to say about where that landed um obviously a, a surprise a little bit of a surprise to see parasite win screenplay there, but also Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit. David, how did you feel about where those two shook out?
3: We predicted both of them. Things had definitely started moving in that direction. Um, I am just struck by, you know, The Irishman did go over 10, but Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, outside of awards that had pretty much wrapped up, really did not do as well as I would have ex- you know, really expected a few months ago. Uh, It seemed like the movie that would take Quentin Tarantino to a level he hadn't been able to go at the Academy before. And he's actually a multi-screenplay winner and couldn't even pull that off this time. So the movie did not do as well as his best movies have done. Um, That's my main takeaway from the screenplay categories. Uh, Little Women was able to win costume design. So that is where it got its win. And in general, uh, Jojo Rabbit It's a nice one for Taika Waititi, and he actually had a nice presence overall at the Oscars. I thought he gave a a lovely nod to indigenous communities, and he gave a nice note before. I forget what he presented, but he was able to have a nice moment there before as well. It was nice
0: to have that moment of him shouting out and sort of like speaking to indigenous people and lands. Mm -hmm. I think that's something I was really struck by when I first went to TIFF last year. At uh, all of the screenings in Toronto, they open with a, a similar uh, sort of thank you and definitely honor. yeah Sundance as well and right and another I think this is something that start you're seeing happen in the film community mm-hmm. and but to see it eventually now having risen to the broadcast it has such a broad audience was nice to yeah. have that happen in the middle of a broadcast that I felt like I was trying very very hard to say like even though we've nominated all these white people there are other folks involved who we would like to recognize I yeah. think, to varying degrees of success. <laughs> Seriously. And let's talk about the broadcast for just a minute. Yeah. What um, what did you think worked well in terms of moments from the actual telecast? Joey, you go first cuz you sort of called it with the the opener. You really I did. You, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I couldn't sure. believe it as I was, was such watching. a very it. specific <laughs> prediction you made and it turned out to <laughs> be totally <laughs> correct. So remind us what that was and what happened.
1: I was completely shocked. I was like, I, I had said in the last podcast that I really would like to see a some them lean into the films that are not that were, came close to but were not nominated for any Oscars. So it was really cool to see that musical number with Janelle Monae um, with all those backup dancers from. Uh, it was Joker, 1917, and then also Midsummer and Queen and Slim. And us, it was just yeah. us. It was just weird to see those all tap dancing next to each other. And I think Shearsha Ronan's face said it all in that moment. It was kind of weird, <laughs> but fascinating and shocking and scary at the same time. Uh, I really liked that moment, though. It was so cool. I just wish that they would have leaned into more stuff like that. Because I think when they're sort of self-referential and a little bit campy, it, it it's a little bit looser it feels a little bit more fun so I I liked that moment I I think that was a good moment to open up on um and then Cynthia's performance oh oh, yeah just so fantastic I mean that collar that she had on and that that at the end when that camera was like swooping around her and her eyes just followed it all the way around I was like she should just EGOT just for that, those 10 seconds of <laughs> off. I was um,
0: I was at the Elton John AIDS Foundation's viewing party, their long standing like 28 years of like having yeah. a giant Academy Awards um, party, even on the rare occasion that their host has to not be there and then come back and I, and the room for Cynthia was like, So silent Mm -hmm. and reverent, and then so loud and appreciative, which was nice because she was obviously competing against Elton John. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Although the moment of like, Elton winning while being in that room was great because there were like 900 some people there who were just so excited, who were so there to support this cause and many of them had been at this party over and over again and it was that kind of like perfect hometown team kind of moment to have that happen and then have him and Bernie come back um, was a really nice moment but I was appreciative because I was worried, I was like Cynthia's doing so great, are people gonna be, (laughs) you know, what? but no, like everyone in that room was like, oh my god, (laughs) (laughs) what's happening? Cynthia is great. She was so great. uh, She was outstanding.
3: It was strange. I mean, it was not a great year for original songs. And it was strange the way, like, Chrissy Metz just had to sort of come out without an introduction. Because I don't know. I mean, I I was at the Oscars and I was surrounded by very confused people in an upper tier (laughs) of the theater (laughs) who were like, Who is this woman? What is this song? Why? Why was this not introduced? What was this movie? It was the movie breakthrough, breakthrough it was a Diane Warren song so you know she's obviously one of the great Oscar
1: losers and that <laughs> continued The obligatory <laughs> Diane Warren yes. nomination yes um and it was Who just also wrote the why did you do that song from A Star Is Born the one where Gaga talks about asses looking good in jeans correct
3: yes.
0: I mean Diane Warren Vers, <laughs> versatile
3: songwriter
0: yes <laughs> uh, to be
3: sure and you know I thought that tactic worked for Elton really well. I, you know there was just the speech and then all of a sudden the curtain rises and you see him and it's this really exciting moment. but with Chrissy Metz, it was really bizarre, because it's also not an uplifting song, and, but it's also not a good song. It's not a great song. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, it wasn't like a stand-up moment where Cynthia is suddenly just there, okay and blowing you It's okay if you know nothing about,
0: like, Cynthia, about Harriet, about exactly. the song, you're just like, whole, oh, oh my god. It was
3: just so okay. random, and in general, I felt like with the broadcast, there were a few choices like that that were made, there was this sort a of
0: bunch of montages, m-
3: and then the mid-show like rap recap was oh, sh- that all was so range, weird. and the Eminem. I M&M mean, M&M. Sir Sharonin's face was certainly topped by Edina Menzel and Martin Scorsese watching Eminem. <laughs> that was. It was
0: sort of like six different ideas for what they should do for an award show, yeah. right? If the answer was going to be like, okay we want to go in a world where it makes sense to have someone come out and rap halfway through, <laughs> then do, I mean, it was kind of like, well then go full like Tony's and have Lin-Manuel Miranda do this and like figure out what you're doing. Yes. Or go back sort of to your half hosted version and do some more of you know, Steve Martin and Chris Rock or do some more of montages and just like, who cares about people actually performing. It yeah. was trying to be a lot of things at once
1: and also presenters presenting other presenters it yes. was it like it was so <laughs> weird um but i did i am I, I think we do need to go back to maybe having hosts um even it if it's just for small me. segmented parts yeah, yeah. like yeah. kristen wigg and maya rudolph hosting can you imagine they killed in those they five were minutes so they great had. yeah or will ferrell and julia larie dreyfus i mean they were so good mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah Maybe it's less that the host needs to do the opening number of it all, but they need like an MC. Like <laughs> they need yeah. someone to kind of carry things yeah. through with mm-hmm. a little bit of like movement and a little bit of speed and a little bit of humor, but without it having yeah. to be like here's all my material. This has to be the funniest monologue and the funniest like one man show or what two woman show or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe That's a harder gig, maybe, to hire for.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like if the pressure is that high, if you have, you know, Chris Rock and Steve Martin coming out to do a pseudo opening monologue that a host would do, it's like they really only have to come out two or three more times, and (laughs) that (laughs) is the equivalent of the job. Totally. (laughs) So it's not much of a heavy lift compared to what people are willing and excited even to do. Yeah. So maybe it's just, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's just rethinking what the host is a little bit, and you can open the field a little bit more accordingly.
0: Very briefly, the night before the Oscars or the sort of afternoon before the Oscars, the Independent Spirit Awards mm-hmm. um, honored some very different movies from what we yeah. saw in a, I think a night I mean it should I think it was always intended to be a nice compliment to the Oscars that it wasn't supposed to necessarily overlap entirely and to help provide that more unsung film. Uh, kind of moment, but David what from the indie spirits were you excited to see at least get one last award season honor? Um, even if it didn't Transcend that into the Oscars in any way.
3: I have to say I loved their choices I thought their farewell winning best picture over I think the frontrunner was probably marriage story was such an exciting I think Political choice. That movie was snubbed by the Oscars, I think, quite unfairly. Um, And Lulu Wong giving a speech in that stage was so special. Adam Sandler, winning Best Actor, was amazing and totally deserved. And he absolutely killed that speech and reminded every Academy voter what they missed by not including him. Um, Other choices, (laughs) we have to get to JLo losing again, Joey. I will get there. Uh, because mm-hmm. she she only came for one reason, and she, yet again, did not win. Um, but even like and Willem. And then she left. And then she left. <laughs> even like Willem Dafoe winning for The Lighthouse, a movie I do not love, but a performance that I loved, uh, just it made for two days of a nice breadth of work being recognized. Um, sometimes the indie spirits overlap more with the Oscars, but when you have Little Women in 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, all these bigger budget films uh, competing on the Oscar side, you get a nice mix between the two. Okay, Joey, we can talk about
1: J-Lo now. Yeah, I was gonna say you <laughs> stole my thunder there. If you thought I was gonna get through one podcast this year without referencing Jennifer Lopez, thank you again. We know, um, <laughs> Which I We've learned. To the Oscars, I was upset that she was not included in that little musical number at the beginning, but- um, True. I, I, Okay, so, but I am going to say something that's going to shock you guys. Make sure you're holding on to something. Um, I actually think for the Indie Spirits, I would have given this award to Octavia Spencer for Loose. Oh, yeah, you
3: loved Loose. I have not seen
1: Loose. Such a good movie. Um, And it's really, which I think was also a neon movie. Um, Correct. I think that was distributed by Neon. and Maybe, yeah. It was such an awards caliber movie. It was so good. Yeah, it distributed by Neon, and it got nothing on the awards trail. And I, I think that that was really shocking to me, and I really would have liked to have seen that movie win something this year. So, Because um, it's Octavia Spencer and Naomi Watts just at their absolute career best. They are both so good in this movie. Mm. Um, so I was really happy to see her get a nomination. I would have liked to have seen her win, but... I'm I'm so happy for Nai Nai winning though. I mean that's such a good yeah. performance too. So, uh, but yeah, Jennifer Lopez will continue to be an icon with or without the indie spirits, and she made that clear by leaving. So <laughs>
3: <laughs> she also had a great moment with Laura Dern on the the blue carpet before mm. um, before the show started. So that was nice.
0: Okay, looking back across this whole award season, this is the opposite of like a bold take, and and we'll kind of tie things up here, but. What is, what is a moment, whether it's a speech, a nomination, an a Instagram post, whatever it is, when you look back on this Oscar season and the time you've spent covering it and us talking about it and watching it and all of that, what, it, what is something that you feel like is going to stand out when you remember this wild ride?
3: Um, it was my first Screen Actors Guild Awards and they announced the cast of Parasite to present their film and everyone stood up. And that doesn't happen for a presentation of a nominee. Um, And the room was just so electric and so in love with it. And I would never really experienced something like that in in the context of an awards show. And that is definitely what I will remember. And I think it tells really the whole story of the season in a lot of ways.
0: We were both standing pretty close to their table when they won. Yeah. Like just w- And then that, when they won obviously which was like uh, that moment of like is everyone going to storm their ta- like truly storm their table? Like <laughs> I almost had a moment where I was like are we going to get trampled yeah. at the Sag Awards? It seems possible. People are really excited. I wouldn't even blame them. Yeah.
3: And with that first presentation, we kind of turned to each other and thought, "Well, it has to win now, right?" It would be very awkward <laughs> if it did not. Um, and ultimately did and the second ovation was even louder and more enthusiastic than the first. That that will be what I remember,
1: absolutely. Joey? Um, I think probably the most memorable thing uh, from this season was when the medium of cinema was actually started by Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but in, I think, I don't know that there's necessarily um, one particular moment from the actual uh, awards happenings themselves, um, outside of obviously Parasite winning that, it just feels like such an exciting best picture win in a way that it hasn't felt in a really long time. I can't even remember the last time when a win actually felt this important and electric. So I think that moment stands on its own. But I also think that the thing that I'm taking away from this season more than anything, I think is not only is the way we look at Oscar Oscar prognostication changing, but I think we really have to start looking at earlier festivals um like can especially mm-hmm. i think we have to start refocusing our gaze on can as a launching pad for oscar contenders um i think you know we all know the oscar race is a year-round affair but as the industry itself and the academy become more globally focused we have to retrain a lot of our Oscar focus on can because between best international film contenders to acting contenders to now best picture winners I mean that festival has given us so many major players in recent years from uh pain and glory to parasite to Isabel Huppert* and L to black Klansmen last year so I think can this year the the we need to focus on that. And that's only, what, two, three months away? So yeah. the focus is going to be on can on um, this, this upcoming <laughs> year. I know we got a two month <laughs> break, but I think, yeah, we have to start looking at can.
3: I think that's such a great point.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, my my uh, time capsule moment. I, you know, I was telling David about this a little bit just before we started taping. So, after after Elton and Bernie won for so- their song, they took like the press who were at this viewing party event and put us in a very tiny little corner. There were like maybe ten or fifteen of us, and like ringed by a giant group of cameras right behind us. So we're sitting there waiting for them to walk in the door, so they can do a little mini press conference and I answer like two questions barely see anything there's one time like one of the things no one maybe knows when you do not work in covering awards is sometimes how hard it is to watch the awards themselves (laughs) if you're in a press room it's a terrible place to watch the awards you often can't hear what's happening like you you're there are people coming in and out of the room to give interviews you've got like one eye on a monitor you're like wait what just happened i don't know what's happening even when you're in the room where the broadcast is being filmed sometimes it's hard to tell what's happening If you're in the newsroom instead, you're like surrounded by a bunch of people all talking at the same time, trying to figure out like what just happened. Anyway, so I was sitting there like waiting for this long-time duo of people who have been creating music together for more than 50 years to like come and have this like great little moment of glory at their own party and in the distance I can see this tiny little monitor hanging above one of the bars and it becomes clear that Parasite has just won and people start screaming mm-hmm. kind of around oh. us. And it was a really nice moment of like, here is this new, new way that maybe the Oscars can go, and here are this, you know, very deserved underdog winners who we're also excited for, while we're kind of like cramped in like a very old-fashioned way, waiting to celebrate a really long standing. Um, group of artists so it was a it was a nice sort of like clashing of the moments. I had almost no idea what was happening I had to like go back later and figure out right. what had happened and what was this like was there a controversy about how they brought the lights down and like did everyone get to speak enough and was there another mistake but it, in that moment it was great <laughs> to kind of see the new was and the old <laughs> all happened at the same time and everyone it turned out fine for everyone
1: yeah um, oh, it's a really nice moment yeah yeah,
0: yeah. All right, when we come back, we will hear uh, the interview that David and I did with Bong Joon-ho earlier this year. Um, So stick around. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting to your
4: happy place for a happy price Go to your happy price, price
3: Priceline Welcome back. Here's our interview with Oscar winner for Best Picture, Best Screenplay, Best Director, and Best International Film, Bong Joon-ho. This is Bong Joon-ho. We're extremely honored to have him here today. Director of the film Parasite, thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Uh, So this is being called in many circles the movie of the year and <laughs> true in the United States and across the world. How has that experience been for you? It's played at a couple of festivals
2: now. <laughs> so, particularly,
4: the response in the US has been great um, at the festivals, Telluride, Toronto, New York. It's been a great experience. Why do you think the response has been so great? Well...
0: (laughs) We get to be interviewed now. (laughs) We are being interviewed now. It's it's a really compelling film. It's also, I think, really tight and very artful, Mm. but also, I think, in contrast to some of your earlier work, very realistic, Mm. which was very affecting and scary in its own way. Mm.
3: Mm. And the theme of class, which has always been so prominent in your work in this movie, the direction of the narrative I feel really hits you in the gut. And I think people have really responded to that. Was
2: there any cultural difficulty or something to understand or some details, very Korean or Asian detail kind of? I think
3: what I loved about the movie was that it felt so specific. Mm. And it wasn't a world that I knew necessarily, but a lot of the experiences on both ends of the class scale were familiar to me at the same time.
0: Mm -hmm. I think in America we see a lot, there's so much, especially reality television about that ultra rich lifestyle Uh, and luxury uh, and the families and and so I think we have in some ways more of an insight into that and if you didn't come from a very working class family, Mm -hmm. maybe that part of it was less familiar. But I liked how, how did you decide to specifically set this in Korea rather than making an American
4: film?
2: So it is
4: is true that after Snowpiercer and Okja, I wanted to create a film about people I see around me on a daily basis filled with very Korean details.
2: So I definitely
4: definitely didn't expect the reaction to be so universal from especially the US and Europe. Um, I wasn't concerned about it, but it's definitely something I didn't expect.
2: Suddenly it hit my mind that what was the... Title of the TV program: the, the CEO, American CEO, is undercover. Undercover, undercover boss. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very opposite of this movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rich, rich man is infiltrated <laughs> yes. to the the working class. So, the world. This the movie is opposite kind of. Yeah. yeah,
0: like David said, your other movies have also really been thoughtful and pointed in different ways about class, even mm-hmm. when less realistic. But what What of those messages did you want or did you think you could tell differently with this story? Like what for any audience did you want them to come away with a different or a deeper thinking of class
4: about?
2: Snowpiercer so you know,
4: Snowpiercer is definitely a story about class warfare, um, with the poor people in the tail section and the rich in the front cars, but it's still much within the framework of sci-fi um, genre. With Parasite, I wanted it to feel very contemporary and present, and for the audience to really think about these issues as they're watching the film, but more so when they leave the theater. Mm. So when the son announces that he will purchase the house in the end, um, as you know, we are watching it in the audience, we feel very complicated as we leave the theater because it's so closely tied to our own futures as well.
3: In terms of the way that you separate these two families, and I feel like each of them are treated both with empathy and there's comedy, mm-hmm. how did you approach their intersection and, and watching them interact with each other
2: mmm you done actually there is no villain, the evil guy in this movie mm-hmm. every everybody every character remains in how can I say Grey John kind of something and because of that approach I, um, I took, I
4: think the characters seem more realistic. You know, in reality, we don't have clear villains or clear heroes. Um, and because of that, it, I think it's more difficult to predict what will happen in the film and how everything
2: will explode.
4: But to be honest, I think in a ratio of 51 to 49, my heart is with the poor family um, as the film sort of follows their perspective um, uh, as the plot progresses.
3: I'm curious what your feelings about the structure are, because everyone I've talked to about this movie is like, I never knew what was going to happen. I think of it as a movie in stages almost. Mm. Uh, But there's kind of an order to that chaos, if you will. How did you... Because it feels so tightly controlled. Can you talk a little bit about the way you maintain control over this movie, while also leaving the element for surprise? This
4: film very uh, expresses chaos in a very organized manner. Mm-hmm. You know, the creator can't be the one in chaos. I have to very meticulously deliver this chaos for the audience, and I feel a lot of excitement from that process.
2: The storyboard was actually
4: published in Korea and it will be published in the US as well. But if you look at the storyboard, um, uh, particularly with the climactic sequence, the the storyboard is almost exactly the same with the finished film. That's how organized and meticulous I was in um, uh, creating that chaos and I hope the audience feels a lot of excitement from that particular cinematic moment.
2: But with that meticulous storyboard, but I always hope my actors they still remain alive or uncontrollable kind of yeah, so they are wild beasts yeah in in a good way so room uh, to play around yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: was there anything you had to pull them back from places where they were too wild and you were like keep this quieter keep
4: it simpler?
2: 그 그런 식의 그, 그
4: so I actually don't. Um, uh, I don't really control my actors that, that way. Particularly um, uh, uh, in the end, the the actors already know more about their own characters than I do. There's always a point where our relationships are overturned. In the beginning, I tend to explain more about these characters, and afterwards, the actors know more about um, their own characters. So I really relied on their instincts.
3: I saw you in another interview say that uh, you used to tutor for a rich family, and (laughs) that was one of the inspirations for this movie. In general, the movie feels so lived in, even at its most heightened. What was, how did you draw from your own experiences and what you've seen in your life to craft this kind of intimate but epic world?
2: 대학교 때 내가 아르바이트를 뭐 일을 많이 했어요 이것저것 과외뿐 아니라.
4: So I had a lot of part-time jobs when I was in college, not just tutoring.
2: <웃음> 네, 도넛도 팔고 그랬어, 학교 매점에서.
4: I sold donuts at the school cafeteria.
2: 그런 류의 일들이 존경하는 사람들을 되게 많이.
4: What's good about those jobs is whether I intend to or not, I end up observing a lot of people, and that's the fun part.
2: 특히 그 <I'll> Particularly
4: like with jobs like tutoring or, you know, babysitting, you are entering someone else's home. You inevitably witness a lot of people's personal
2: lives. Um,
4: so I taught a middle school boy for a very rich family. And he took me to every corner of the house and showed me around. He was a pretty funny guy. Um, and that uh, it's also in the film, but they had that house had a private sauna on the second floor. And um, It was my, I was very surprised to find one in a private home.
2: The boy boy and me spent really wonderful time in the rich house and I fired very quickly. (laughs) 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 We never studied and so, yeah.
3: The other element of this film that I love is that it's often very funny Mm -hmm. and often in a way that helps get your ideas across. How do you view the the potential of comedy
2: um, in, in service of your story? so even with the
4: same situation or dialogue I think it's about it's always about the distance the distance between 머리, the characters and the, the camera and the distance between the situation and the audience so the same scenes depending on the distance can seem like comedy horror or even tragedy So I think my comedy is always infused um, uh, with very complex layers. You know, it's it's a type of comedy that makes people chuckle or makes people just break out in laughter but they feel bad or sorry that they actually laughed.
0: (laughs) We've been talking about this a lot when we started to talk about the Oscars and about the Golden Globes and about the awards part of it all. The Oscars in particular have not historically been particularly favorable for horror films in particular. Do, do you consider Parasite a horror film? I mean, I think it's less important to an audience in many ways, but the question comes up over and over again when we talk about awards.
2: 뭐, black comedy more social drama and character-driven 뭐다라고 표현해도 뭐, 틀린 말은 아닌 것 같고. So, you
4: know, this film is a black comedy, social drama. It's also a narrative driven by characters. It also has action and slapstick comedy. So it's very difficult to define the genre of this film. And for me to hear that is a blessing and a compliment. So, when we first screened this film at Cannes, one American reporter wrote about how we shouldn't struggle to define the genre of this film. Bongjunu is a genre to himself. And that actually made me happier than receiving the award. It's a compliment that I always want to hear.
0: This has been a year already where some films and the way that they use violence have really raised more and more questions. I think, especially in America, as we contemplate how to deal with violence and what that looks like on film. One of the things I loved about Parasite is I felt like the violence on film was shocking, but appropriate and deserved like you really built the narrative towards it. So even though in that final party scene, it is grotesque and and bloody and awful. It didn't feel like out of place, mm, is, yeah, is that I fair to that's say? Totally right, yeah. How did you think about how much is the right amount of violence and mm. blood and gore and stabbing and all of that, like how do you, <laughs> it, gets, it gets in there, but like how, was there, was there something that was too much or where did you find to draw that line?
2: I think it's really about the basic approach you take with
4: the violence, violence more so than, you know, how much blood you see or how much of a, you know, how much bodies you see on, um, on screen. I I really think that in Parasite, there's an underlying sadness um, regarding this violence throughout the entire film. And, you know, just before the climactic sequence, there are a couple scenes which present the opportunity to avoid the violence, to avoid the tragedy it, but it's an opportunity that none of the characters could actually hold on to and i think that reflects the sadness that we all experience in our modern times
3: i wanted to wrap sort of where we started which is you mentioned being surprised by american reactions to this film and, and global really and what have you learned about your movie's reach
2: and and the way they can touch people no matter where they live <laughs>
4: So, as a filmmaker, when I'm shooting or during post, I'm always very anxious, you know. I spend years preparing for this film, and I'm aware of the entire process. But for the audience, you know, they just come to the theater and, you know, experience the two hours that I present. So, they're actually very calm and cold in terms of their reaction to the film. So, there's always that basic underlying anxiety I have when I present this film to
2: to the world. So
4: regardless of the country, whether it's U.S., France, or Korea, you know we can never figure out the audience. We they're not something that feels actual. So the answer I always come come to is that I should just satisfy myself. You know we never know who this you know who the audience is. So I need to create a film that I want to watch that satisfies me. Um, and that was the case for Parasite. But you know thankfully the reaction for this film has been great and. I I'm very happy.
3: Well, thank you so much, Director Bong Joon-ho. Thank you. This has been The Awardist on EW.
4: That was our Awardist interview with
0: Bong Joon-ho, which David and I did back in November. Thank you to him and to all of the many nominated um, filmmakers, actors, other folks who have joined us over this season, both for this podcast, who spent the time sitting down to talk to us in Toronto and in other places, mm-hmm. um, which m- all of which you can see on our YouTube. Um, and, and thank you to everyone for listening. Joey Nolfi, thank you for joining us today and throughout the season, and for bringing all of your smart predictions and guesses and, and awards know-how to all of the predictions that you and David did.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And I got the first and last name outro. Wow. Thank you,
0: Shayna. <laughs> <Full. laughs>
1: thank you so much. I
0: mean, sometimes it's just Joey because you're just Joey to us, but so everyone knows Joey yes. Nolfi.
1: I could technically be J-No, Joey Nolfi instead of J-No? J-Lo.
0: Oh, yeah, J-No? Oh, that's it. You're Note for next
1: season.
0: <laughs> J-No. It we don't have to wait. Since we just said award season is basically year round, I think we're going start true. that now. we should We should
3: get prepared already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's thank a few other people who have helped to make this season successful uh, Lauren Huff has done so much research and production support for us every single week along the way. If we have made any sense, it is because Lauren has helped provide <laughs> us with a good outline, and if we have not made sense, it is definitely not on her. It is on us for meandering through our conversations. Josh Heller edited these episodes and the interviews, including um, some long interviews with a lot of different kinds of translation, which he did an excellent mm-hmm. job at. The entire awardist team at EW, and it is a team, um, but especially two editors, Clarissa Cruz and Katie Hasty, who helped make sure that so many people went to go see a lot of good movies, really encouraged all of that discussion and conversation and arguments and, and excitement all the way through. You can always find complete Awardist coverage on EW.com Awardist and in the magazine. We will be back for another season, <laughs> even before the can of it all. Yes. <laughs> uh, because this award is also covers the Emmys. So look for, in this same feed that you are listening to now, um, coverage of the Emmys starting probably in you know May-ish, June, as that race for those nominations starts to heat up. Uh, so make sure you're subscribed. If you're not, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, rate and comment it still makes a difference it'll help folks find our emmys commentary and then right back into the film of it all david it's been a pleasure co-hosting this season with you
3: it sure has it's
0: been a lot of fun thank you everyone who joined us for the awardist this is ew